Please have a seat and a very warm welcome uh, once again uh, to everybody here. Uh, can I ask you to please turn with me to Psalm 16 on page 539, page 539 and page 540, Psalm 16. We sang the psalm just now, uh, but here it is uh, in your Bibles, page 539, 540. It'd be really helpful to have that open in front of you. Uh, the other thing that might be helpful is the sermon outline, which is in the middle of the um, uh, the uh, bulletin, uh, the center page of the bulletin, and we're using the outline that's on the right-hand side. On the, one on the right-hand side, the center page of the bulletin, uh, and Psalm 16 on page 539, right down the bottom of the page. Let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're God who speaks to us, and that you speak to us by your Spirit through your Word. Uh, and we pray, Father, that as we uh, consider this word now, uh, that you will indeed uh, continue to speak to us. We know you've been doing so as the word has been read and has been sung. Uh, we pray that you continue to do that now as we consider this passage together. Uh, we pray that you help me to preach your word rightly, uh, and that you work in each one of our hearts, that we might uh, see Jesus uh, and that we might have the confidence uh, in the future, for the future, uh, that is uh, proper and right. Um, from, from him. Uh, so we pray that uh, you be at work. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As you look at the future, what is it that gives you confidence? Was it, what is it that assures you that everything is going to be okay in the end? What makes you sure that you will be safe and secure at the end of the day. Well, Psalm 16 is a psalm that helps us see where our confidence should be. Uh, some of us are going through a tough time now, and all of us will go through tough times in the future. And this psalm will, will help us with where we put our confidence in these times. But it's not for just for when we're going through tough times, because when we're going through good times, it's easy for us to put our confidence in the wrong place as well, isn't it? And that will later lead to disaster. So let's look and see what God teaches us from this psalm about where our confidence ought to be. And we know from the title of the psalm that Psalm 16 is a miktam of David. Uh, the word miktam probably means inscription or something like that. Uh, we don't know for sure. But the important thing here is that it is of David. You remember that David is an ancestor of Jesus. Uh, he reigned as king of Israel about a thousand years BC. He was a type, a shadow, a model that pointed forward to Jesus Christ. And so the experience of David as God's anointed king points forward to the experience of God's ultimate anointed king, the Lord Jesus. In fact, the word anointed one means Christ or Messiah. David was the anointed one. He was the Messiah. Uh, the real Messiah, the ultimate Messiah is Jesus, but David is the, the, the little one. And so as we read the Psalms of David, we are reading the Psalms of the Messiah. And normally what we do when we look at the Psalm of David is we see how the Psalm functions in David's life and experience because they're about his experience and his context, first of all. And then we look to see what is the equivalent experience in Jesus' life and, and how the Psalm points forward to him because they ultimately do. And then we see how these Psalms apply to us as people who belong to Jesus. And we do that for most of these Psalms of David. But not for this one. This one's different. 
This psalm is different because the New Testament tells us that this is not primarily about David at all. This psalm is first and foremost a prophecy. Remember our New Testament reading from Acts chapter 2 and how Peter was quoting this psalm? And he said, you know, David's not just a king, he's also a prophet. And as a prophet, Acts 2.31 says, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor to his flesh see corruption. In other words, what Peter is saying is that this, David's not talking about himself first and foremost when he writes this psalm. He's, he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the resurrection. David could apply it to himself, just like we can apply it to ourselves, but first and foremost, this psalm is about Jesus. And so the first thing we need to ask about this psalm is how it functions on the lips of Jesus, as a prayer of Jesus. And then we'll go back and see how it applies to David, and then we'll see how it applies to us. And if you look at your outlines, you'll see that's exactly what we're going to do. So in this psalm, Jesus, the son of David, is the, is the person who is speaking. And he calls upon his father to protect him. He says in verse 1, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Jesus takes shelter in his Father. Whatever happens, no matter what opposition he faces, he looks to the Father for protection and care. But the Father is not only his protector, he's also his master, the one he always obeys. And so he says of the Father in verse 2, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. You are my Lord. The, the Son obeys the Father. And the Son obeys the Father because he loves the Father more than anything else. The Father is everything to the Son. I have no good, he says at the end of verse 2, apart from you. And because he loves his Father first, the Son also loves his people. In verse 3, as for the saints of the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. What a, what a wonderful and humbling thing to realize that Jesus delights over us, his people. Isn't it? If we belong to him, we are considered his saints, a people set apart to be his. He, he actually takes joy in us. But he also speaks about those who worship idols. He says in verse 4, The sorrow of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. Jesus, Jesus does not participate in idolatry. Remember even when the devil promised to, to give him all the kingdoms of the world, if only he would bow down and worship him. Jesus refused. He's completely loyal to the heavenly father. For the father himself is the central object of the son's delight and desire. The beginning of verse 5. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. Jesus loves his heavenly father more than anything else in the world. He loves and delights in and obeys the father above everything. He is his chosen portion. And the father, and as he loves and delights in the father and obeys the father, the Father is pleased to give him his inheritance. And so Jesus says to the Father at the end of verse 5, You hold my lot. 
Now, in Old Testament times, when God's people came to the promised land, they, they drew lots to decide which part of the promised land would go to who. And that was their inheritance, the gift that God gave them. Jesus is confident that his lot is in the Father's hands. And when he gives them the inheritance, the Son says in verse 6, The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Jesus was confident that he would be given the kingdom, that, that he would love us and rule us, his people in the promised land of the new creation forever and ever. He is confident because he is walking in the Father's will. And he blesses the Father for guiding him. He says in verse 7, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. Jesus always obeys the Father. And the Father teaches him what to do. And even as he prays through the night, Jesus reflects on what the Father says. And then goes and does the Father's will. And when he knows he's obeying the Father's command, when he knows he's doing what he's meant to do, he knows what the Father is with him. He is secure. He declares in verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Jesus would not be shaken. He would not be moved from completing the job that the Father set for him. When Jesus was in the desert, the Satan tempted him to take a shortcut. He would not be moved. When Peter realized that he was God's king, tried to persuade him to, to bypass the cross, he would not be moved. He purposely went to Jerusalem, where he knew he was going to be killed. For he knew he had to come to die. He knew that the Father's will was that he should bear our sins and our punishments so we can be forgiven. And because God was with him, he would not be deflected from that. On the one hand, he was in anguish as he faced the cross. And yet at the same time, he was confident. He was certain that the Father would not leave him dead. And so he says in verse 9, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. His body is safe even in death. Why? Verse 10, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, the place of the dead, or let your Holy One see corruption. The Father would not let His Son remain in the grave. He would not let His Holy One, His Messiah, rot away. His body was safe because he would be raised. And so Jesus could go to the cross with confidence. And on the cross he could pray, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Because beyond the cross he was sure that there would be a resurrection. And so Jesus says in verse 11, You make known to me the path of life. And you know that path of life was paradoxically the path of death. The path that led to life for us was a path of service and suffering and death for him. And by humbling himself to death on the cross, he, he won eternal life for us all. But it was also the path of life for him. For his confidence in the Father was not misplaced. And that path, though it took him through death, after death came that resurrection where Jesus was not only raised, but was exalted by the Father. He ascended into heaven to the very presence of the Father himself. And in the presence of the Father, he says in the next part of verse 11, is fullness of joy. Being with the Father, being at his right hand, verse 11 continues, are where there are pleasures forevermore. You see, full joy for the Son is being with the Father. 
For what the Son delights in above everything else is the Father. Jesus loves his Father. And being with the Father forever, there is nothing better than that. You want to know how Jesus thinks and prays on the inside? Well, this prophetic psalm of David has shown us the the thoughts and prayers of Jesus himself. In life and in death, Jesus loved the Father and placed his confidence in him, a confidence that was vindicated by the resurrection. But what about David? Even though these words are primarily a prophecy about Jesus, surely it meant something in his life. How how could David have prayed this psalm? Well, we don't know when David wrote the psalm, but he could have applied it to himself on a number of occasions. There were many times in, in his life when he was in danger simply because he was God's chosen king. And David looked to God for protection. Uh, when Saul was pursuing him, or when uh, Absalom made a coup against him, well, he could pray in verse 1, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. David's confidence was in God. He was a man who loved God. And so he could say in verse 2, You are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. His love was imperfect. It wasn't the same as the love of Jesus for the Father. But he still really did love him. And since he loved God, he, he loved his people. God's chosen people. The people that God would give him to, to rule and to shepherd as their king. And so he could say in verse 3, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Uh, He wouldn't die for them like Jesus did, but he still delighted in them in a lesser way. And like Jesus, David rejected false religions. And so he could say in verse 4, The sorrow of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. Unlike future kings, David was always loyal to God. For his confidence was in him. And like Jesus, David's heart really longed for God himself. And so he could echo verse 5, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. David would would look to the Lord and desire him above everything. And the Lord would determine David's inheritance. You hold my lot, David could say. And the Lord promised to make David the king of his people and give him a never-ending dynasty. And so he could say in verse 6, The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance, even though it's not as beautiful as the inheritance of Jesus. Like Jesus, David blessed the Father, declaring him to be worthy, to be loved and honored and obeyed. And and so he says in verse 7, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. God God guided David. For example, when he was running away from Saul, God God showed him what to do with the priest, through the priest, using the Urim and Thurim, the special stone through which God guided them in those days. And There were other times when God spoke to David through prophets to to teach him and correct him and instruct him. 
And we know from other Psalms, Psalm 19, for example, that, that, that David treasured God's law. He, his heart rejoiced in it. And as David rejoiced in God's word, which came to him in all these ways, it, it made him wise. And his conscience, informed by God's word, would show him the way to go. And because David knew God's plans and he trusted God, he had confidence. In verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. No matter what happened, he knew that God would make him king and preserve his dynasty as he promised. No matter how much Saul, his jealous predecessor, persecuted him, he would make it through because God promised. No matter how many men Absalom marshaled against him in an attempted coup, David will still be okay. Why? Because God promised. And so David could pray in verse 9, Therefore my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure. His security was in God's promises. And since he trusted God, he could rejoice in the future that God had promised him, even if his life seemed to be in danger at the time. He could therefore at one level pray verse 10 and 11. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol or, or let your Holy One see corruption. You, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there's fullness of joy at your right hand are, are pleasures forevermore. Uh, God did rescue him from danger at each point. God did deliver him from his enemies. He did rescue him from death at different times. God, God did see him through. God did make him king and, and keep him on the throne. But in the end, David still died. And David remains dead till this day. As Peter said in Acts 2, his body has seen corruption. So he's right, isn't he? This psalm fits David to a large extent, but he, he never reaches the height that this psalm expresses. Now actually, God will raise him from the dead but only because of Jesus. God will raise David on that last day because of Jesus. And so there is a sense that this prayer is eventually right for him. But first and foremost, it applies to Jesus and applies to David only because of him. But what about us? How does this psalm apply to us? Well, it also applies to us because of Jesus. Because through Jesus and what he has done for us on the cross, we have a relationship with God our Father. Because Jesus took our sin and our punishment for us, we have access to God. Because of Jesus and his resurrection, we will be raised on that last day. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we are adopted as children of God and we stand with Jesus as children of the Father. And so because of Jesus, this, this psalm can be ours. We too can pray this psalm in, with, and through Jesus. In life and in death, we pray verse 1, Preserve me, O God. Preserve me, O God. For in you I take refuge. Our refuge, our security, our confidence are in him. We trust in Jesus alone, his righteous life, his sacrificial life, his sacrificial death for safety on the day of judgment. Our security, our refuge is in him. 
and we call upon God to protect us from the evil one and to keep us safely trusting in Jesus until that day. Protect us, O God. You know, that's the most important thing we can ask for, isn't it? Because in this world, there is no ultimate security. We think there is, but there isn't. Any one of the banks we bank with could collapse and we could lose our savings. The stock markets can crash. Oh, any one of us could get very, very sick very, very quickly. Any one of us could get hit by a bus on the way home from church tonight. All of us will become old and frail unless we become sick and die first. But if we keep on trusting in God, then we have real security. Because no matter what happens to the banks and the markets here, we have treasure in heaven. No matter what happens to our life here, we have eternal life with him. No matter what happens, we know that God is in control and he works for the good of those who love him. And so we take our refuge, we get our security from him. Our confidence must be in him and his promises. On the day you and I die, when everything is stripped away, the only thing that matters is that we are in Christ, that we have our refuge in him. So brothers and sisters, to persevere in trusting Christ, that is the most important thing of all. And so we pray to God, preserve me, O God. Keep me in Christ. Don't let me fall away. Jesus taught us to pray, deliver us from the evil one. Why? Because just as only God can give us faith to believe in the first place, only God can enable us to keep on believing. And so we need to call upon God to enable us to do that. So important. If we lose everything else in the whole world, which actually all of us will, if we have Jesus, then we're okay in the end. But if we gain everything and lose Jesus, we are lost for all eternity. Brothers and sisters, the only really good thing, the only thing that will last is relationship with God himself. That's why we say to the Lord in verse 2, You are my Lord I have no good apart from you. But it's not just the permanence of our relationship with God that makes it good. It's good because we, though unworthy, are wonderfully recipients of God's magnificent love and, and overflowing grace. And we love God because he first loved us. And so the thing we truly love, the thing we truly delight in, the, the object of our adoration is God himself. For in Christ and his death on the cross for us, we see how absolutely and perfectly good God really is. And we value him more than anything else. And if we love God like that, if we truly love God, then like Jesus and like David, we will love his people. And we will pray like them in verse 2. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Now, we mean that now, don't we? But you know, our hearts are still struggling with sin in this world. 
we will mean it perfectly at the end, after our resurrection. When we, with all the saints, all the holy ones, all those who belong to God, are in the land, our land, our inheritance, the, the new heaven and new earth, where we will be with God and His people forever, when we will see Him face to face, and, and our love for Him and for His people will be perfected. And where there's no more of that sin and selfishness and pride that so mars our relationships now. And then we will perfectly say to the Lord, You are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. And as for the saints of the land, ah, they are the excellent ones in whom is my delight. But even now, we join with Jesus and we join with David in refusing to join in idolatry. As we say in verse 4, the sorrow of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. And we must mean that, mustn't we? We must free from, flee from idolatry. We cannot take on another God in addition to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can't add, add Jesus to our God list. But he is Lord. He will not share his glory with another. If we take on another God, we may as well not have Jesus. Those who worship false gods will incur God's punishment for their idolatry, and unless they repent, they will not be among the saints of the kingdom. On the other hand, those who are in Christ will pray the words of verse 5, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. He is the one we long for. He is the one we love. He is the one we pursue and desire above all else. Yet he is also the giver. Verse 5 continues, you hold my lot. He determines what our inheritance will be and, and what a wonderful inheritance that is. Being with him, God himself. Every spiritual blessing in Christ now, which is all about relationship with him. And then being with God and his people in perfect relationship with forever, where there are no more tears and no more death and no more mourning and crying and pain. And we echo the words of Jesus in verse 6, The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. And as we wait for that inheritance, God continues to guard us and guide us. And so we say in verse 7, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. God, God guides us by His Spirit through His Word. Our minds are transformed as we read and hear God's Word. We come to see things God's way. And as our hearts are transformed by His Spirit through that Word, our consciences get recalibrated so they begin to better reflect what God wants us to do and how He wants us to live. And we will have confidence that we are walking in His will. In this life, we will still fall. But at the end, of course, in the new creation, our hearts and minds and wills will be perfectly attuned to His. And we'll be able to perfectly obey. And in the meantime, we are to press on resolutely towards our goal. We are to head in the direction of heaven. So we can pray in verse 8 with, with Jesus and with David, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Brothers and sisters, God is our strength. We rely on him, and he's, he himself is the power that will get us through. 
And with him on our side, we have confidence to go through whatever is set before us in our path to heaven. Whatever persecution we face, whatever hardships we face, whatever sorrows we face, whatever illness we face, whatever disappointments we face in our studies or in our career, if we set the Lord always before us, we keep our eyes on him, we keep remembering who he is and what he has done for us at the cross, we keep on remembering his promises for the resurrection, we keep on looking to him, then by grace alone, through faith in him alone, we will make it to heaven in the end. And that is the goal. Thank you, brother. We need to keep him always before us. Need to keep looking at him. Need to keep helping each other to do that as well. And if we do that, then we will not be shaken. And therefore, in life and death, we can be confident that we are safe. And we will therefore echo verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Do you see the joy of security? We have joy in our hope, our future, our inheritance. The God we adore forever. We know that we will be okay. Even when we die, we will be okay. That is the confidence that we can have. The God who raised Jesus will raise us as well. Our flesh is secure for we are in Christ. And in Christ, not in ourselves, but in Christ, we are holy, set apart for God. And so like Christ, we can say verse 10 with certainty, You will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. We may die, but we will rise. That is what happened to Jesus. That is what will happen to us if we remain in him. We know that because verse 11, you have made known to us the path of life. You have made known to me the path of life. God has shown it to us. We trust in Jesus now. Our sins are forgiven. We are given a place in heaven. We suffer with Jesus now. God uses whatever that path takes us through to mold us into his likeness. And that in the end, we are glorified with him. So that together with Jesus, we will say, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Brothers and sisters, as you look at the future, what is it that gives you confidence? What is it that assures you that everything is going to be okay in the end? What makes you sure that you'll be safe and secure at the end of the day? Place your confidence in God and what he has done for you in Christ. Jesus died for you and rose again. He's the only one who will not let you down in the end. So let your glory, your delight, your hope your confidence be only in him. Let's pray. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge.
I say to you, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. Lord, you are my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless you, Lord, for you give me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set you always before me. Because you are at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Glory to the Father and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and shall be forever. Amen.